At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. How's that extra hour of sleep treating you? Good, I hope, because I want to begin our time together today with a warning. That's right, a warning. Today's sermon is one that many of us will find difficult to stay engaged with. Today's sermon will be hard for many of us to stay focused on this morning. Now, here's what's strange about that. Today's sermon won't be any longer than normal. It should be right around 30 minutes as usual. It won't be based upon some obscure passage in the Old Testament that nobody has really read in many, many years. It's actually a familiar passage in the New Testament. And finally, my delivery won't be unusual. In fact, if you typically find my sermons uninspiring, you can rest easy. You're going to get more of the same this morning. All right. All kidding aside, the reason that many of us will have trouble with today's sermon is because it's a message about you that ultimately benefits others. It is a message about you and me that ultimately has a benefit in the lives of others, and that's why it will be a challenge for many of us this morning. You see, most sermons, when we get up here and stand behind this pulpit and stand on this stage and preach and proclaim God's word, most of those speak directly to the heart of the individual for the individual. Most times, when we grab God's word and we open it up, and what we do is we teach from the reality of God's truth and how you and I can practice walking out our faith in a more consistent way. How we might be able to experience more of God in our lives. How we might be able to serve him more faithfully, more consistently. Oftentimes, even though it is experienced in a large group of people, a sermon is actually deeply personal. I can't tell you then how many times I've heard the the saying, somebody catches me in the lobby after a service, and they say, it's like God was speaking directly to me this morning. And that's why today's message might be tough. Because what Jesus challenges us to do today is to examine our heart, to consider our thoughts and our actions as they benefit the community of faith. Essentially what Jesus is going to tell us today is listen up, this is how you should live for the benefit of others. So that you might strengthen your brothers and your sisters in faith. 
You see, White Lake family, the big idea that Jesus taught us last week is that true greatness, if you and I are to experience true greatness, that comes and begins from a posture of humility. And that's what Jesus is putting to the test today in our text. We're going to learn at the feet of Jesus once again from Matthew's gospel. But before we do that, let's humble ourselves and pray. Holy God, righteous God, God, you are all of those things and we confess in this moment that we are not. We are none of those things. In fact, if you examine our hearts and our minds, we're probably more of a pride-filled mess than humble. I know that is a genuine struggle for many of us here today, including myself. I have an over-realized view of my opinion and my thoughts and the way I think things should go. We are a people who struggle with pride and with self-centeredness, God. So you're going to need to meet with us in this moment. As you open your word to us, God, convict our hearts of the role that we play in the lives of others. May we humble ourselves before your word today because your word is true. It has exactly what you desire for us this morning. So God, give us ears to hear this word. Give us eyes to see clearly this word. And then may you find our hearts humble. Humble before you that might, you might do your work in us and ultimately through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we continue our conflicted sermon series as we look at the teachings of Jesus to his followers according to Matthew's gospel. Now, as we began our series last week, we emphasized both dependence upon him, full, utter dependence, and humility before our great God. It's imperative that we recognize that those things come before the heart of God because he desires unity in the body of Christ. He desires that his people would be one. That means that we should walk in healthy relationships. First, our vertical relationship, and then our horizontal relationship. That means first with him, then with others. Now, I can say before you that it's incredibly important and Jesus desires unity among his people. But it's not just my opinion. Listen to the words of Jesus in a prayer that he prayed in his final hours. He said that they may all be one. He's praying for his followers, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, the heart of Jesus is for his people to experience unity so the watching world will look at us and know that he's real and ultimately place their faith in him. Do you guys think unity might be important? Absolutely. 
So Jesus teaches all who will listen how to navigate this life in community, that we might be unified. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. He wants us to know how we are to navigate the disagreements and the conflicts that come in the body of Christ. He wants to be able to teach us to do it with grace and with truth and make no mistake, both matter. Let's return to Matthew 18. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be reading three verses. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. You are going to find that on page 823 in our church Bibles, in our ESV Bibles. Matthew 18, we're going to pick it up at verse 7 as Matthew captures Jesus' words. He says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Jesus picks up where he left off last Saturday. Or excuse me, last Sunday. He's challenging us to be a help, not a hindrance on the path of faith. He's challenging you and I to be a help to others, not a hindrance on the path of faith. That is why Jesus used language that is so dramatic. He doesn't offer kind of subtle suggestions and say, hey, you know what, maybe that thing, you should probably not do that. It's not what he does. He hits it head on. Words of warning. He speaks directly to it with a measure of seriousness and intensity. Look at the way he begins verse 7. Woe to the world for the temptations to sin. That word woe communicates intensity. And his intensity has recipients. First, the world. And then to the people who tempt others to sin. There are two recipients to Jesus' counsel here. You see, the world is the source of our temptations. For it's in the ways of the world that we find our sinful desires. It's in the ways of the world that we find our lust and our cravings for more. More money, more stuff, more sex, more power, more, more, more. Now, let's get real for a moment. When you and I go home this afternoon, we're going to turn on the football game, and we're going to be inundated with ads. You're going to go to your favorite website, and you're going to be inundated with advertisements. Do you know what they're telling you? They're telling you, you need this. That thing, whatever it is, you need it. Your life will be so much better if you have this thing. In fact, you're not experiencing true life unless you have this. 
You see, the problem is that we are so inundated with these ads. They're everywhere. Drive down the street, they're there. Turn on the radio, they're there. Turn on the television, they're there. On your website, they're there. They're everywhere. We're so inundated with these ads that, frankly, we've become desensitized to them. And in doing so, what we've done is we've, re- we've overlooked the fact that they can harm our soul. Yet this is the world. This is our culture. These are the things that entice us. These are the things that speak to our fleshly desires, and yet they never truly satisfy. And so Jesus declares, woe to them. Then Jesus gives another warning. He says, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Again, the woe carries a strong degree of intensity. It's a warning of judgment. Judgment upon those who serve as a stumbling block for others. Now catch the image. You're walking out your journey of faith. I put a block in your way. You get the idea. But woe, woe to the one who does that. Woe here is a word that is used throughout the Bible to lament those who are under judgment of eternal fire. It's serious business. So pay special attention to the warning. It's not just for the sin, but it is for those whose actions cause another to give in to temptation and to give in to sin. And this helps us see the first of two challenges that Jesus gives his people in our text today. The first one is do not lead others into sin. God's people should not lead others into sin. I'm guessing that most of us, when I said that, you're like, yeah, I got that. Seems pretty obvious, Pastor. Is it? I mean, really, is it? If it wasn't Wouldn't Jesus kind of just brush past it? He finds it so important that he speaks to it directly. He wants it to be so abundantly clear that he teaches on it. And his message is simple. Don't cause another to sin. Now, you and I can all nod in agreement with that, and we say, yeah, I got that pretty direct, pretty straightforward. It's actually pretty simple to understand, but what does it mean and what does it look like to live this out practically speaking? I mean, how should a believer live what Jesus is teaching here in our daily lives when we go to school, when we go to work, when we hang out with our friend group? I'll answer that question by pointing your attention to something that I learned long ago and I have shared with both of our children. It's an off-quoted phrase that finds its roots in the Old Testament. And here's what it says. It says, if you want to know the character of a man, look at the character of his friends. You see, if you desire to be godly, spend time with godly people. If you desire to be wise, Hang around with people who are making wise decisions. Now, conversely, if you don't want 
to cause someone to sin. Don't invest time in those who tempt you to sin. Listen to the words of Proverbs 13. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So White Lake family, Jesus has taught his people the importance of how to live in the presence of others with humility. And here he's teaching us how to do it with sensitivity, with awareness towards others. Then he continues his teaching. Then he moves from the community and he's going to bring it down now to the individual. So let's continue in our text. Pick up the second warning that Jesus offers in verses 8 and 9. He says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell. A fire. You see, Jesus' intensity shifts from the community of faith to the individual follower of Christ. Here in this text, he's speaking directly to his disciples, and as we read, we can identify with them. So instead of speaking of the significant role in the life of other believers, what Jesus does here in this portion of our text is he turned his attention to the person in their own walk of faith. He speaks directly to you and to me as we walk in Jesus. And what he says is, don't dabble in sin. Don't dabble in it. Don't play around with it. Don't come to the edge. Don't fool around with it. In fact, what Jesus urges is to get rid of the thing altogether. Whatever it is that's causing you to be tempted, get rid of it. His language is intense. His language is graphic. Now, while the language is figurative, to be sure, even hyperbolic, And it is not to be taken literally as some of the early church fathers put into practice. The heart of the matter remains clear. Remove the temptation. Remove it. Now why would Jesus say this? Because it's better to suffer temporary loss than to suffer eternal punishment. I'm going to say that one more time because it is so very significant. It is better for you and I to suffer temporary pain than eternal punishment. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating at that point, look at the text again. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. It's kind of intense. But he doesn't just say it once. Jesus doubles down. He says, and it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Church, sin is serious. It is not something to be taken lightly. It is not something to be, oh, it's fine. It's accepted. It's tolerated or danced around. The consequences of sin are so severe that Jesus uses a pair of brutal illustrations to get his point across, remove sin at all cost. Verses 
remove it. Remember when I told you this was going to be a tough one? This is what I mean. You see, some of you right now might be feeling an immense amount of guilt, immense amount of shame. You know your heart. You know the sin that lies within. And that's what sin does to us. It gives us this heavy, heavy burden. We know that it is a vertical offense that has horizontal consequences. And if we're going to be real and honest with each other this morning, the burden of sin can be overwhelming. It's this weightiness and this burden of sin that causes shame, that causes us to turn from God instead of running to him. And yet that's what he invites us to do. It's this burden that helps me see the beauty, the absolute beauty of one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Listen to the words of Jesus earlier in Matthew's gospel. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Is the weight of your sin too much to carry? Come. Is the burden that you're carrying upon you too heavy? Come to Jesus. Are you weary? Are you just run down, completely undone? Come to him. You might say, well, how do I do that? It begins with humility. We come to him in humility. We come to Jesus humbly, repenting of our sin, surrendering to him the burdens that we carry. And then we believe in the gospel. We place our faith in Jesus and his finished work upon the cross. That's how Jesus cleanses us of our sin. He wipes away the pain and the guilt and the shame of our sin upon the cross. What he asks of you and of me is repentance and belief. Church, this is why Jesus challenges his followers with our second challenge today. To lead others by repenting of our sins. You and I show true leadership when we repent of our sins. Now, you've heard me speak of repentance many times in this church, and I give you this visual illustration. If I am walking in the way of sin, I am pursuing sin, what repentance asks of me is a 180-degree turn in the opposite direction. Whatever that is, I'm leaving it. Whatever people are there that are causing me to sin, I'm walking away from them. I'm leaving the old way of life behind. That is repentance. Now the problem that I have as your pastor is that when I say the word repentance, many of us think, yeah, I did that. You know, I did that whole repentance of belief thing 20 years ago. That's when I came to faith in Christ. I repented of my sins and I believed upon Jesus and I'm now a believer. That's true. 
That is the starting line of faith. That's what Jesus tells us. But repentance is also something that should be a part of our daily rhythm in God's presence. Repentance. It's something that you and I should regularly practice. Believers should regularly practice repentance. Of course, first unto salvation, but secondly and daily and consistently as we walk out our faith, striving to die to ourselves. You see, repentance is the natural result of God drawing us, God calling us, God wooing us to himself. And he gives you and me grace afresh. And repentance is the fruit of our faith in Jesus. Now this past week, many celebrated Halloween. The world celebrated Halloween. At the same time, many believers, including our White Lake staff, we took some time to reflect upon Reformation Day. Now, this marks the day in the calendar year when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And when he nailed those theses to the door, Luther sought to bring reform to some practices in the church that he felt were not aligned with biblical truth. So he knocked, nails them to the door. He says, I want to talk about these. I want us to consider these anew. Of all the items that Luther included, I think none is more profound as these words. He says, when our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, when he said repent, he willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. Church Luther's words were bold in 1517. They remain countercultural to us today, and they are because what they're doing is they're following the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 18. Believers should take sin and the consequences of sin incredibly serious. It should bring you and me to a point of repentance, to a heart posture of humility. We should practice. Repentance. Because it is through repentance that you and I prove to be a help, not a hindrance for the body of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.